My name is Stephen. I'm the pastor. It's wonderful to be in the Word of God together. Um, I want to give a very special congratulations to the Platt family for a new grandbaby born, Giuseppe, just the other day. He's healthy and doing well. Congratulations, guys. What a blessing. So fantastic. Man, babies are great, aren't they? They're the best, especially when they're in someone else's house really, and, and at nighttime. Wow. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I'm kidding. I have five kids, and I am very blessed to be their daddy. You know, the Lord is so kind to us, and it's amazing to me that he gives us such gifts. Sometimes we think about the gifts of the Lord being things like money or cars or special jobs or whatever, but, man, people, people are the gift, aren't they? What a gift that he gives us children. Will you turn in your Bible with me, please, to Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah chapter 9, it's kind of at the end of the Old Testament. So if you find Matthew and Malachi where the New Testament starts and go back a couple pages, you're going to find Zechariah chapter 9. In this time, Zechariah is preaching to the people of God. They're in judgment. And God is bringing judgment on the enemies that are around the people of the Lord. And then Zechariah gives this prophecy of this coming of this great king in the place of God, in the city of God. And in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, he says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. And then he goes on with this wonderful prophecy Mostly this prophecy is about judgment that's going to happen against these other nations because God is the judge of the whole earth. And sometimes we see these prophecies that happen about Jesus. That's a spoiler alert. This is going to be about Jesus. Sometimes we see these prophecies that happen at Easter time or at Christmas time. We read these Old Testament prophecies and we think about Jesus coming and meek and mild. But oftentimes the context is even the judgment of God. But even out of that judgment, he's bringing this great salvation that's going to come through this king. This passage is important to us because it shapes the understanding of the disciples as they're waiting for Jesus, as they are understanding who he is. Not just the 12 that are following him, the actual apostles that will later, will later become the apostles, those disciples, but also all the people. There's a lot of people who are following Jesus. And as they're following him, they are expecting him to come in a certain way. They're expecting the Messiah to come in a particular fashion. And this idea of mounted on a donkey is something that's sort of mysterious to them because it doesn't meet their expectation. I used to be in the military. I, I was, I'm blessed to have served in the Army back in the day. And, um, and one time I went to Fort Polk, Louisiana, where I was stationed, had this giant training center called the Joint Readiness Training Center. And it's huge. It's a bajillion acres big. And the Army spent all kind of money to prepare for training overseas. They even brought in shepherds, actual Iraqi citizens who spoke Arabic, who had helped out in some different ways. And so this was in 2005. They brought them here to the United States. They planted them, if you will, in this giant training area. So there were shepherds with actual sheep around in the countryside. There were actual villages and buildings that they had built. And there were these little cities, if you will, that were in this training area. And so we were like playing this massive game of paintball with 5,000 people. So it would be a huge, huge paintball game. And uh, one particular day, I was in charge of, of 
my unit and I was uh, summoned to this big briefing where we were gonna go do this operation. And the operation was to go take one of those towns and take it over. And it was a big joint operation. There were lots of people and big vehicles and helicopters and it was a really big deal. And so I was number two in charge of this big group. We had about 160 soldiers. And uh, my boss, who was a captain at the time, he got some call in the middle of this briefing and he kind of looked at me and he goes, over to you, and walked out. I was like, that's, that's different. That's, that's not what usually happens. So I'm receiving the briefing from all these big, high, important people, and uh, the briefing ends, and they said, okay, go to your soldiers, prepare your drills, get ready, we leave in two hours for the big operation. And uh, I said, all right, so I walked outside, and I'm expecting to see 160, 170 soldiers and all our trucks and all our equipment. And instead, I see my truck with my driver and my machine gunner, and that's all. And I looked around, and I said, where is everybody? And he goes, oh, sir, the, the captain took everybody. They got some emergency call from one of the little villages. And uh, where we were, I was military police. So the police were engaged with this something going on, and they were fighting these guys. And so everybody left. I said, what? But but we're supposed to take the town, like, what are we doing? So I'm listening on the radio, and I can hear everything unfolding. And so there's a lot that's going on in this little village, and my commander was a, he's a really great commander, he's still in the military, he's actually super high up now and doing all kind of stuff, and he was a really good captain, he was really excellent. He had one flaw though, and his flaw was that he really, really wanted to inspire the troops. So much so that he would take like quotes from movies, and stuff, and he would just use those. And so I'm listening to the scene unfold on the radio as he pulls up in the town, which is under siege, jumps out of his truck, and stands like this, and goes, I'm here! <laughs> Literally, this is how he stood. And then paintballs just rained down on him. Just rained down. And so the poor guy was like out of the battle and you know, in an instant, and here come, I was supposed to have 12 trucks come back, here comes like five of them. It was, it was a mess. Anyway, that was my commander. I tell you that story for this reason. The disciples, all following Jesus, are expecting a commander with movie lines. They're expecting a commander who's gonna show up and who's gonna, I'm here, and be this Superman who's gonna rescue them. They're expecting this commander, this champion, this general who's going to take the Roman oppression that's happening in Jerusalem and break the back of the oppressors and deliver the people. They're expecting this Moses who's gonna show up with supernatural powers, but more than that, probably is gonna call down a bunch of angels and just wipe out all these Roman soldiers and then they're just gonna be free and everything's gonna be great. And that's what they have in their mind. And Zechariah, while prophesying about this great judgment that God's gonna bring, says that the very king that's gonna be installed in Zion is gonna ride in, not on a white steed, not in a giant tank, not in some amazing, awesome contraption. He's gonna, he's gonna come in in a donkey? Doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It's not what they're expecting. Let's turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Matthew, Mark, Luke in the New Testament. You know this story. This is the triumphal entry. We're going to start reading at verse 28 in Luke chapter 19. This is Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Now, this is a big deal that he's coming into Jerusalem. In fact, this is such a big deal 
that some of the disciples prior to him coming here have privately spoken to him and said, please don't go. Please don't go to Jerusalem. Because they know that the moment he arrives, he'll have a giant target on his back. It will be as if he really is standing there. I'm here. And then the paintballs can just fly. But in this case, it's not paintballs. It's people who have been trying to trap him for some time. People who are threatening his life. They've already tried on multiple occasions even to stone him or do something. And somehow, supernaturally, he slipped through the crowds. But the disciples have pled with him and said, Jesus, don't go. If you go, you know it will go poorly. And the Bible tells us that instead he set his flint, his face like flint, hard rock, toward Jerusalem. And he was resolute that he was going to go. Luke chapter 19, he's coming in. Let's read what it says. Luke chapter 19, verse 28. It says this. When he, that's Jesus, had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, that's called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has yet ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were, who were sent went away, and they found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus upon it. And he, as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the ground. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all his mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees of the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Praise the Lord for his word. What a scene is happening. You know, it's not just the disciples. Really, we hear accounts in the other Gospels of a multitude of people who come and these palm branches, and they're excited, and they're shouting Hosanna to the king, which means praise. Hosanna is one of those funny words. It's kind of like praise and thankfulness all wrapped up into one thing. If you could say praise, thank you at one time, it's Hosanna. And they're excited, and they're, they're shouting, and they're waving these palm branches, and they're seeing Jesus come in, and it's this triumph of this entry into the city. The, the passage here is incredible because really it's surrounded by two, in context, by two other passages in which Jesus is talking about judgment in the kingdom. And he's also weeping for Jerusalem, seeing the state of this place. And then bookended by those two things, here's Jesus coming in on a donkey. I used to ride horses when I was, uh, when I was young. I didn't do like fancy horseback riding. I was a volunteer at the Babbler State Park Riding Stables. And my main job was to shovel manure. And it was gross. And uh, somehow my family had met the people who had owned this place, and they were new in town. And um, the owner guy had invited myself and my brother to come help out, which meant you know, mostly shoveling things, and uh, to help out and be around the horses. And so that we thought that was cool. So for one summer when I was around 13 years old, I went and I uh, helped out in this horse ranch. And my horse that I rode, his name was Jack. And he was the biggest horse. He was an Appaloosa, if that means anything to any of you. He was giant, he was gray, and he was the meanest horse that I've ever met in my life. 
And the reason it was mine was because the owner guy had his favorites and he hated Jack. And so then that was my horse. And he was just big. And every time he went out, it's like he would have a grudge against some horse and kick somebody. It was awful. So, you know, you could tell the quality control of this state park riding stables was not the best. It closed down. I wonder why. <laughs> so I'd go, on these, I'd go on these horse adventures and I'd take people with us. And the poor horses, God bless them, they were... You know, they knew exactly where to turn around to go, and they wouldn't receive any commands because they just knew I just walked this loop and that's it. So we'd, uh, we'd take people out and we'd go on the trail rides and we'd come back. And I'll tell you what, people are funny when they get on a horse, especially kids, but all people. You get your kid up on the horse and then you get on, you're like, I'm a cowboy. <laughs> like, it changes people. And suddenly they're riding the horse like, yeah, this is great. Until the horse starts wandering away, then no one knows what to do. But up until that moment, everybody feels special and important on a horse. But horses are funny, and donkeys for this matter. If you have a horse that's untrained, that's unbroken, and you try to put somebody on their back, it does not go well. We had one guy who really was like a cowboy. He was like the, the, the nephew of the owner or something, and he would ride the horses that were really stubborn, not Jack, because no one liked him. That was my job. And they would buck and, and try to throw him off, and he would try to you know, break them and tame them. This colt that Jesus is going to sit on has never had anyone ride on it before. How would you like to have your car sitting in the driveway and you see somebody opening the door and you say, hey, hey, what are you doing? And they look at you and they go, the Lord has need of it. And they just drive away. <laughs> this, this whole scene is supernatural. <laughs> this, the whole thing that's happening. They come and find this colt. It's, it's, this little colt, is, first of all, it's young. It's never had anybody ridden it. And the owner's like, oh, yeah, but God bless you. That's great. Go ahead and take it. So they take this to Jesus. He sits on it. You notice the colt doesn't buck, doesn't fight. How would you like the honor of being the creature that the creator of the universe is going to ride in? He's going to ride on this colt to fulfill a promise that he had made out of his own mouth generations before. See, this scene that's unfolding is amazing. It's amazing for many reasons, and it's amazing to sort of imagine yourself there and feel the dust around you. Feel the hotness because it's the desert, the heat coming down. See the people excited. Hosanna, they're shouting, there's praise. Music is starting. And then here comes this champion who's showing up in Jerusalem, one that the disciples have said, please don't go. You know it will go badly. And he's riding on this donkey. He's not riding on the great cowboy steed where he shows up and this is the champion you know it was common for kings and conquering people I love what Joe said this morning about the diadem those who receive crowns when they ride into a city that they have conquered they do so on the big white horse it's not just something that happens in movies it was rooted in history and so the expectation of the disciples really is that is that this king, this Messiah that's going to come, that's going to deliver them, is going to come riding in in his triumph, and he's going to really look the part. And Jesus, I imagine his feet were almost touching the ground. He didn't look the part. Why is everyone so exciting? Why is there so much jubilation? Why is there so much praise? It's because the king is coming home. It's because the promises are fulfilled. It's because the same God that spoke these promises through Zechariah so long ago is making good on it. Jesus is coming back to Jerusalem. 
This is the same Jesus that has opened the eyes of the blind, that has opened the ears of the deaf. He's risen people from the dead. He has demonstrated power. He has preached the kingdom. This is the same Jesus that everywhere he goes, it's like life just follows him. So no wonder the people are so excited. He comes into town. The people are in jubilation. I love how he tells the Pharisees, if these people hadn't cried out, if they had been silent in verse 40, the very stones would cry out. Why do the stones cry out? They only cry out in praise to one person. It's because he's God. It's because God is entering the town. The king in Zion, it's he himself, the second person of the Trinity, who's become a man on our behalf. What's incredible is that just a short time from now, from this scene, these very same people who are shouting Hosanna and shouting praises are also going to be shouting crucify him. These same people who are in jubilation right now at Jesus entering the town in just a short while are going to be cursing him as he carries a cross down the street. Why is that? You know, the Lord's kingdom, it's like a mountain. It's big. Sometimes we forget that it's there, and then you see it, and you think, how could I ever miss this? The Lord's kingdom is like a mountain because you can find refuge and you can find resources on the mountain. It's the place to go. It's the place of safety. It's where you can go. It's also bigger and heavier than you can move. You don't get to change the mountain. The mountain is the mountain. One time I was with my family. We were hiking in Colorado, and we used to go on little family vacations there. And so on this particular time, my dad decided, let's go up this special trail up one of the mountainsides. It's going to be so awesome. And so we are Missouri people. Um, also, if, you know, we're not exactly camping people. Um, I like to camp. My dad does not. His idea of camping was Holiday Inn. And so we, uh, we went on this hiking trip, and we have no equipment. And so I think at that time, I was maybe a freshman in college or something. And so I had started some Army training stuff. And so I grabbed a backpack, and I threw some things in it that we might need because that was what was being instilled in me. And we started climbing up this mountain. We're having a great time, and it's a beautiful day, and everything is amazing. And we get up pretty high. You know to that level where the trees kind of start having trees anymore? Where the trees go, we were kind of up there. And so we're still in the, tre in the trees, excuse me, we're walking, we're going up the mountain, and it's amazing. We're having a great time. We're like, man, we're, we got it. We conquered this nature thing. We figured it out. My brother's with me who's younger than me. My little sister's with us. She's like an infant maybe or something. I don't know. She wasn't really. She was like nine. And so we come up the mountain, and we're having this great time, and suddenly these clouds roll in very quickly. And clouds, you know, in Colorado, it's funny because a storm in St. Louis is different than a storm in the mountains. And so we're up there about where the trees stop having trees, and suddenly there is lightning everywhere. And as we're walking, I can feel the hairs on my arms and my head kind of standing up a little bit. And it wasn't necessarily because lightning was striking right around us. It's because we were in the cloud. We were up there. And so the rain just started coming down. Just a deluge, buckets of rain start falling on us. And so thankfully, I had my little backpack. And I got out my poncho. And I spread it over all of us because I was the tallest. And so I was holding it in a tree, and we had my little sister and my mom in the middle, and the, all the guys are just getting soaked on the outside, and my dad's there. And the whole time, just praying, Lord, thank you that you control the lightning, because it is striking everywhere, and it's close. And what do you do? You can't just go back at this point, because there's so much rain. It's just 
it was dangerous. In a moment, we went from thinking we had conquered nature to being completely at the whim of the mountain. The kingdom is like that. The kingdom, you cannot conquer it. Sometimes we have an expectation of Jesus that he's just meek and mild like a baby at Christmas. Sometimes we have this expectation of Jesus that he's going to come and he's going to be this great conqueror. He's going to take over the whole city. He's going to wipe out all the centurions and all the legions. And he's going to demonstrate his power in this amazing supernatural way. And the angels will come down and fight. And that's what the disciples thought was going to happen. And their expectation was wrong. Because Jesus comes riding in on this colt, his feet dragging on the ground. In fact, he's talking about the same context like Zechariah did of judgment. Here's the reality of the gospel. This is the gospel. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone. And our culture wants to sugarcoat that and make everything seem okay. The culture wants to make it seem like we can live our best life and there's no consequences. And the reality is there's a holy God who created the whole earth, who's over all things. And this God has a standard. He has a way of life that he has given to us that he wants us to follow, and none of us have. None of us have given allegiance to God in the way that we should have. None of us have kept his law. None of us have attained to his standard. And we're in despair because it's like being in the mountains at the very top where the trees stop and there's no cover. You know, there's safety in the mountains if you have structure. There's safety in the mountain if you live in the mountain. But if you're just there and the lightning is striking, it's dangerous. The reality is that this king, this God, this judge is over the whole earth and he has a true standard. And that standard is we can have no sin. We can have no disobedience, no rebellion toward him at all. None of us could make it. None of us can attain to that. And so God's solution was to send his own son. God became a man on our behalf. And this man, Jesus, came into the city that he built, came into his capital where he was going to demonstrate his power. And he did so riding on a colt with his legs dragging because Jesus himself was going to be the sacrifice that would absolve our sin. The Bible tells us this, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that there is no way to the Father except through him. How does that happen? It happens because Jesus, who rode in, hearing the Hosanna of all the people, would just a week later hear them yell, crucify him, and he would cross. And when he died on the cross, the Bible tells us that the Lord poured out all of his wrath on sin, all of the, all of the wrath and the discipline upon our disobedience, all of the stuff that held us away from God, the Lord poured it out onto Jesus on the cross that he would take the punishment for our sin. The cross is so important. This scene is so important, not just because there's this great conquering king riding into town, but without Jesus, we are hopeless. He took away our sin that separates us from God. The story doesn't end there, though. Not only did he die taking the punishment of sin, because that's what God said the punishment of sin would be. If you sin, you'll surely die. He died for us, but he rose to life again. He conquered sin. He conquered death. He lives now. He lives eternal. The Bible tells us if you confess your sins to him, if you believe in your heart that he has been raised from the dead, that you will be saved. Now, this is so important because the truth of the matter of this conquering king is that he doesn't meet the expectation of the superman. He doesn't meet the expectation of, this, of those disciples coming in. He doesn't meet the expectation of this meek and mild person who just loves everybody all the time and does nothing. 
Instead, we have to adhere our thinking to what the Bible says. And the Bible says that he is the judging king of the earth, the creator of all things. He's the majesty of all majesties. He is the one who lowered himself to the state of riding on this little fowl to come into his capital city that he might die for us. What a king we serve. You know, there is no way to know peace. There is no peace with God. There's no peace in our lives if you don't know Jesus Christ. The reason for that is because he died, he took the punishment, and he rose again. As we celebrate this Palm Sunday, we don't just celebrate that Jesus came in Jerusalem. We celebrate that he was faithful to his promise. Not just that he would ride on a donkey. He was faithful to the promise that he would take away our sins that he would wipe away every tear from every eye. He was faithful to his promise that he would change us from those who are enemies outside of his kingdom and bring us into the mountain, into his kingdom, where we would be stable. If you know Jesus, then we're no longer afraid anymore up where the trees don't grow, seeing lightning around us. If you know Jesus, we're not just celebrating some waving of palms. If you know Jesus, we're not just going through life wondering about whether or not God will fulfill his promises. Instead, we see Jesus, the promise fulfiller. And we rest our, tr our trust and our hope upon him. Maybe you've never met Jesus before. Maybe you don't know him. Today is the day of salvation.